Let's pray. Father, as we come into your, look at your word again today, Spirit of God, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, reveal your truth to us. Encourage us, challenge us, speak into our lives, for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Let me ask you a question today, if you can see it on the screen. What do you think that is? Any ideas? A bug. Huh? A boat. Looks like a boat. Actually, it does look like a bit, but yeah. No, it's not a boat. It's a good, good guess, though. A bird's beak. Oh, could be. Getting warmer. What else? A mouth. Let me show you what it really is. It's really an alligator snapping turtle. I'm surprised you didn't get it, to be honest. Now, the thing about the alligator snapping turtle is, it's a pretty ugly beast, really. But if you can see, it has on its mouth that little pink thing, that it's on his tongue. And it, what it does is it waggles it around. If you see on its tongue that little pink bit, what it does is it wiggles it around. And what does it look like? A worm. And so what it does is it wiggles this little, see it here? And the fish are attracted and other things that it likes to eat. And guess what happens when they get too close? The alligator snapping turtle snaps like an alligator. They're pretty big, these things. Grow up to 250 pounds. So that's a big snap. And that's how it catches its food. Now, why did I show you that? Except it's a fascinating fact from National Geographic. It shows you because we've been looking together at a book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And we've been looking together further down the passage, at this, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That we are to put on these things like a coat as we go out the door, if you like. We are to put those things on us. But before it gets to that in Colossians, just after the first bit that we read, it says something else. It says these words. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, the knowledge, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, the passage here in Colossians says we have to do two things. We not only put on, clothe ourselves with certain things, but we have to remove from us, put to death, other things. It's like a, a full glass of water. You can't add any more into it. You can't just keep pouring things in if it's already filled up. If we're already full as human beings, how can we put more and more things in unless you remove something first? You know that where you... Uh, I went shopping the other day in Tesco's, and uh, it's all right, the, the checkout was fine this time, wasn't that? But you know, I suddenly realized that we needed, uh, I was going to make a fruitcake, fancied making myself a fruitcake, I love making fruitcakes. So I made a, a fruitcake, but I thought, well, I better just check that we've got enough ingredients, you don't want to get to the middle of making your fruitcake, and there you are, you've run out of nutmeg and cinnamon and all the other things I put in the spices, so I went to the spice section, bought a whole load of each one. Then I came back home and I opened the cupboard and Enika was standing there. She said, you didn't buy any more cinnamon, did you? No, 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 no. Why would I do that? Because as I looked in the cupboard, the cupboard was already full of three jars of cinnamon that I'd obviously thought we would run out of, but I bought last time. And then you have that terrible job of trying to wedge in the extra jars that you've just bought into an already full cupboard. You can't do that any more than you can, as the Bible says, you can't just clothe yourselves with more and more things unless you first take things off, put to death certain things in our lives. And that's what we're going to focus on today. How do we put to death those things? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, the difficulty is that the things that belong to our earthly nature are temptations, aren't they? They're the, like that little worm that's wiggling around in the mouth of the alligator, whatever it was, alligator turtle, snapping turtle. They're enticing. They're good to have. We, we like to have. That's, that's why we get into problems, isn't it? Because we think, oh, that, that looks so good. I want some of that. And then we get into trouble and the, the jaws snap shut, sometimes too late. But the word says, put to death all those things that it then listed. The question is, how? How do you put it to death? How do we take off those things out of our lives? Well, first of all, it says, put to death, therefore. When you have a therefore, what does that mean? Based on what comes before. You go to your boss and you say, boss, I've done this, 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 and this, and this this year. I've been fantastic. Therefore, I need a pay rise. Right? It comes on what... what comes before it, as Tim said. So what comes before us having to put to death all these things? Well, in chapter 1, Paul says this in his letter. He reminds us, basically in chapter 1, 
that Christ is the Lord and Savior of everybody. That Christ is the one that we are to put our hope and our trust in. He says things like this. He's the image of God. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the image of God. He says, everything is created by him and for him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was with God in the beginning. All things were created for him and through him. It's he that created everything by him, but also it all points back towards him as well. It says in verse 17 that he holds everything together. That Christ is the one that, that holds the world in his hands. We sang with uh, Marlborough School on Thursday who came over. He got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, but he's got the whole world. He's got the whole world in his hands. He holds it all together. Fourthly, it says God's fullness is seen in Christ. You want to see everything that you can possibly see about God? He's kind of put it all into his son. He says everything that you want to know about God is in Christ. The whole, the whole uh, nine yards of it all. It's all there in Jesus Christ, the fullness of God. And he also says, while we were alienated from God, but now Christ has come and he's brought us back. And he says that's what the gospel is. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So once we were far away from God, cut off from God, but through Christ, we are now brought back. Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior of each one of us if we accept him. And then he goes on in chapter 2. He warns us then about holding on to the, the correct thinking and not allowing the thinking of the world, incorrect philosophies and worldviews to come and lifestyles to come in and mess up what the truth really is. He says, don't be deceived by human philosophies that look good, that are enticing. They're like that worm wiggling about and you think, oh, this looks really interesting. But actually, then they snare you and they take you away from the truth. It says, don't let anybody negatively judge you. Don't be affected by that. Verse 16 says, don't let anyone judge you regarding what you eat or drink or regarding to religious festivals. They're a shadow of the things that are to come that are really in reality found in Jesus Christ. Lots of people will judge us, but it says, don't, don't let that affect you there's only one judge ultimately and that's God the Father he says don't follow false worship practices don't don't go running after the latest fad that goes on even in the churches there's always new things happening don't go running after those stick to the truth stick to what you know to be true according to God's word don't run after those things and don't elevate the temporary over the eternal. The things that we so often focus our attention on are the things that are here and now rather than the things that are eternal. 
We, we so often look at quick fixes for everything rather than the long haul about what's right and what is good and what can really accomplish so much more in the long run. So Paul brings all of that together then in those words. Firstly, he says in chapter 3, the words that are read earlier, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So he's assuming that you understand that you are in Christ. You understand the power of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that your mindset is tuned, as he said, set your heart, set your mind on the things above. Don't start paying too much attention to the things around you. Then when you're in that frame of mind, when you're in that position, then you can put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. But still the question is, well then how, how do we physically put those things to death? You struggle with anger or rage or malice or slander or gossiping or your language. You, you struggle with division and, and you against other people and judging other people. Or you struggle in, in sexual immorality or impurity, or lust, or evil desires, or greed. You struggle in these things, the, the earthly nature that's, that's always battling. So how do you put it to death? Well, firstly, we need to remember, as it says in Colossians 2, that these things are already defeated. You know, sometimes... Let me read first from Colossians Chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. It says this, When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. They're already defeated. That's why he can say in chapter 3, verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ, we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Since we're already there, remember that they're defeated. A great admiration this week for the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. When she stood up and she said, I'm never going to name that shooter in Christchurch. doesn't deserve. He did it to get attention. He did it so that his name would be remembered. We're never going to mention his name. And she refused to mention it. You know, sometimes we give our struggles, our earthly nature, way too much attention. We speak about it all the time. We, we effectively elevate it when we should be going, you know what? I should be elevating Jesus Christ, not these other things. Think about how much time you spend talking about your struggles with other people. And how much time you spend talking about Jesus Christ. 
We elevate it up in our language, in our thinking, in our mindset. And we give it way too much attention. Because it's an already defeated enemy. That's why the Bible says you can put it to death. You don't have to continue like this. But if you keep on bringing it up over and over and over again, what are you doing? Well, you're, you're effectively giving it life. It would be like everybody talking about that shooter, naming him. What are we doing? We're giving him life. We're giving him prestige. We're giving that guy a position. We're constantly reminding ourselves over and over again. Now, I'm not saying you don't learn the lessons. And I'm not saying you don't minimize, you, you, you don't minimize the, the struggles. But sometimes we spend too long just constantly talking about it over and over and over again, giving it more elevation in our lives than it really ought to have. Remember, it's defeated. Don't give it more credit than it's worth. You have Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the power and the presence of Christ living through you. How much time do you spend speaking about that rather than speaking about your struggles? Second thing, recognize that all sin ultimately is a deceit and a lie. Started in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. What did the snake say? Came to Eve and said, Did God really say? Is that really true? Now, why, why do we get into trouble? We get into trouble because that little worm is wiggling about and it looks good to eat. You know, I walk past the pastry shop. It looks good. Then I get into trouble when I get on the scales, right? But sin's like that, isn't it? Not that pastry is sin. Forget that. Bad analogy. But you know what I'm saying, right? Sin is enticing. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have to struggle with it, would we? If sin, if sin was not enticing to me at all, I would have no problem with it. What's the worst food you've ever eaten in your life? Tabioca. School. Tabioca. And they used to put a bit of jam in the middle, thinking that would make it palatable. Good choice, right? You remember it. There's no way you can make, you can put as much jam in it as you like. It's never going to be enticing, right? If you had a choice, you would just, I, w I was great when I was, I was raised to class or table monitor. And that meant I could sit right by the window of the primary school playground. And my tabioca used to go in the summer, out the window, all over the rose bush. That's how good it was. We're not going down the Marmite road. <laughs> but if sin was like school tapioca, you wouldn't have any trouble with it at all, would you? You go, you can put as much jam on it as you like. No, thank you. I know what that tastes like. But the reality is the sin for us is more like What's the best food you've ever tasted? Cream cake. 
the most juiciest steak or the freshest fish that just melts in your mouth. Or sitting in Dar es Salaam in a seafood restaurant. Do you remember? And they brought Omar the largest lobster. The lobster was bigger than Omar. Seriously. There was no plate large enough and it was straight out the ocean. Delicious. That's what sin's like. That's the problem. But you have to recognize, therefore, that there is a deceit and a lie in sin. You know, if Adam and Eve would have stood up to Satan and said, you know what? What you're saying to me is a half-truth, not a full truth. You know, because sin, sin is a half-truth all the time. There is, there is a sense in which there's some good in it. There's some nice things in it. There's some pleasant things. That's why we're attracted. And what we do is we focus on those bits and we forget about the other. Guy came to me one time years ago. Said, the Bible wants me to be happy. I'm not happy with my wife, therefore I'm going to leave her for someone else. And I'm sure it's God's will because God wants me to be happy. Well, there's an element of truth, I suppose. God does want us to be happy, content. But the way to that is not to walk out on your wife and to go and have an affair with someone else. He did it all the same. Didn't find happiness. But what happened? Well, he left devastation and everything else because it's half a truth. And you focus on the bit that is true and forget about the liar. And when, when our earthly nature rears its head, you need to step back if you can and recognize and speak against the deceit and the lie. If Eve would have said, you know what? If we do this, we're going to give up all of this. It's a fallacy. It's a lie. Yeah, we may be like God, but we're going to lose all of this as well. Notice Satan didn't talk about that. I'm not going to take that risk. Then the world would be a different place. Remember. Thirdly, you have to resist. The Bible speaks about resisting over and over and over again. Firstly, mentally resist. Romans 12. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and viewers, God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Philippians 4.8 says this. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We resist in our minds. That's often where it starts. If you can resist with your mind, then you can pretty much resist. And we have to allow our minds to be renewed, and we need to focus on the things that God wants us to focus on. 
And recognize that when, it, when our minds start to cave in, the rest of us often follows. So when you see your earthly nature starting to, you think, no, I'm going to resist this. I'm not going to give in this time. No, I'm not going to focus my attention on this. I'm going to do it another way. Spiritually, Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. That there is an enemy out there that wants to entice you to fall. Why? Because then as soon as you fall, what happens next? The enemy says, you know what, David, you're not really worth it. You shouldn't really be a minister. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You know what? You've got nothing to offer. How can you stand there and talk to anybody else and you're like this? And all that negativity starts coming in your mind because the enemy starts planting it there. Ever read the screw tape letters? Exactly what it's about, isn't it? You know, they come in and plant those seeds of doubt. You're not really that good. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? You shouldn't be doing that. You can't go talk there. You can't serve there. You can't do this. Resist spiritually. Put on the full armor of God so those attacks, the arrows of the enemy, won't come through. We've looked at that together. And physically, James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And Genesis 39, you remember the story of Joseph? Sometimes you need to resist. Sometimes you do the, just that. You just go, no. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not moving, but no. I'm not going to go down this road again because I know where it ends up. I'm going to choose a different pathway. Sometimes resistance is standing still and just saying, no, I'm not going to do it. But sometimes it's like Genesis 39. Do you remember Joseph and Potiphar? What did he do? He did a runner. He went, you know what? My resistance is not just going, no, he tried that and it didn't work. So what did he have to do? He just said, I'm out of here and I'll face the consequences later. And sometimes resistance means that you get up and you physically get out of those situations. You see a situation spiraling, you see something that, look at anger, what do you do? You start, if, you, if you have a problem with anger and somebody starts making you angry, what do you do? Well, sometimes the best thing to do is to walk away. You just go, you know what, I'm out of here. Let me go and calm down, get my emotions under control because I feel it bubbling up inside and something's going to come out in a minute. Give me space. Let me go. And then you can come back when everything's subsided. Because you know that if you just stood there, you're just going to burn even more until it all comes out. Sometimes it's better run and face things a little bit later. But resist. Resist those temptations, that earthly nature. Fourth focus. Look what it says in Colossians. We read it. Read it twice. Set your heart on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. The more we focus on the things above, the more we can put to death the earthly nature. 
the things that we don't want to be carrying with us throughout life because they hold us back and they're just burdens to us. It says, focus, focus, focus. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Just think about that for a moment. You ever been with someone and it's pouring with rain outside and you forgot to take an umbrella? In fact, you went out like this because you thought it was spring had finally come. But the English weather went, ha! No, it hasn't. And you're caught in a downpour and what happens? Somebody else has a jacket on and they take it off and they stick it over your head and their head as you try and work your way to the nearest shop to shelter. What can you see underneath the jacket? Them. That's it, pretty much. That's what it means to be hidden with Christ. What can you see when you're hidden with Christ? You know, like a little child that comes up and buries themselves in you? What can they see? Well, usually your belly, because that's about how far they come up, right? That's what it means when he says, we, we, we've been hidden with Christ. What do we see? Well, we, sh- we won't be seeing all these other things. We'll just see Jesus Christ if we're hidden with him. If he has his arms around us, he has his cloak around us, we're hidden underneath that. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because when he undoes his cloak, you'll see what he sees. Because you'll be where he is. Focus on him. And lastly, oh no, two more. When you fail, we'll say it in a minute, forgiveness is there. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Why did Jesus teach us that? Because he knows us. He knows that you and me have an earthly nature that we struggle with. And that whilst he's called us to put it all to death, because he knows that's the best for us, he equally recognizes that there are going to be times where we, we say the wrong thing. We, we fall into that trap yet again, and that alligator-snapping turtle goes. And we not only hurt because we're in that place, but we hurt because we recognize that we've messed up again. And why can't I learn? And Jesus says, you know what? My, my grace is sufficient. I taught you to pray, asking for forgiveness over and over again. Forgive. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive every time I go into the wrong place. Every time my earthly nature takes over from my heavenly one. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And lastly, remember who you are. Romans 8 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, not to the earthly nature, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Children of God. That's who you are. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Think about those verses for a moment. What does it say? It says we're part of his family, we're brothers and sisters. We're led by the Spirit, therefore we're children of God. We're sons and daughters of God and we have that intimacy with him that we can call him daddy. But not only that, we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. An heir means that anything, anything that belongs to him will come to us. Everything that is coming to Christ is coming to you and me as well. That's who we are. That's who you are. Your earthly nature, remember. Remember they're defeated. When it raises its head, look at the lie, not just the enticement. Don't just look at the little worm, look at the, the big beak that surrounds it and where it's going to end up. Resist it mentally, spiritually, and physically. Set your heart and your mind on the things above where you focus your attention. And if after all that you still fail, remember God's forgiveness is always there. He says, come to me, all you. You are weary, heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. I'll give you forgiveness. I'll give you freedom. And remember, always remember, whatever you do, you will always be a son and a daughter of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That is who he says you are. It's not if you do this or you don't do that. That is who you are. And that never changes. Phil, can you play for a sec? Let's just close your eyes for a moment. Father, as we, we want to thank you for these words, your word. Lord, you know how much we struggle. You, you know we love to put to death our, our earthly nature. And all of us struggle with different things. But all of us struggle. But I thank you. I thank you that you that you help through your Holy Spirit. You don't sit there and judge us every time we mess up. You stand there and you lift us back up again. And Lord, anybody today who feels that they, that's me, I've just messed up again. As they come to your table today, may they know your forgiveness. 
May they know that they are a son and a daughter of the Most High, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, whatever we struggle with, next time it rears its head, next time that little worm starts to, to flicker and we get enticed, Spirit of God, give us the strength we need, the confidence we need, the power we need to resist, to put on the full armor of God. Set our hearts and our minds on you. in Galatians 6.2 you tell us to bear one another's burdens and Lord I ask if anybody is struggling here today that they would find someone else another believer in you that won't judge them but that will help them and journey with them and encourage them for that is your way thank you and we praise you. In the name of Christ. Amen.